Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone out there who's new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer, soda, water, coffee, tea, kombucha, juice in the fridge make yourselves at home, we're going to get into it. So today I'm sitting here with a new friend. This is another edition of Strangers in My House, someone who I've never met before. And now they are here and we're going to talk and we're going to learn a lot about each other. So everybody, please make some noise for my new friend, Dan Moore. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming by. appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. So... We got linked up through a mutual friend that you are now in a band with. Shout outs mm. to Shy, Forehound, yep. and uh, Amanda Baker also was a facilitator in this whole rigmarole that's going on mm. now. And they told me to talk to you in regards to your affiliation with the School of Rock. Right so on. let's start there, and then I'm sure we'll go down a winding path of other fun and exciting things. But All right. how did you get involved with the School of Rock? Uh, actually, as a parent, uh, my oldest daughter was uh, kind of bouncing between a few private instructors, friends of ours uh, who we had known forever. Their youngest daughter was playing guitar there, and they said, hey, you should come and check it out. Olivia would love it. And uh, that kind of started a, uh, a family-wide love affair with the place. Um, I w- I'm not a drop-off kind of parent, so... I was always hanging around. If Olivia was there, I was hanging out in the lobby, uh, became friends with our old GM, Brian. And eventually he put me to work as a drum instructor. Uh, yeah. And then eventually music director. And Brian just recently leaves, so left. So now I am uh, also general manager. Cool. So how so, long was that trajectory? Uh, right around four years. Okay. Give or take. Yeah. Cool. And prior to all of this, prior to becoming a father you were already playing in bands and being a metalhead and all that stuff and maybe other things yep. you know most real metalheads that i know are not just metalheads they kind of have this weird obscure mixture <laughs> of things that they listen to yeah but you know in terms of you know being a parent being responsible being responsible for the livelihood of other children now to some degree helping mm-hmm. guide them you know, do you find that you would be surprised if yourself maybe a decade or two decades ago knew what you would be doing now? Oh, definitely not. Yeah, I would never have expected. <laughs> uh, I grew up a carpenter, worked for my dad, had cool. my own company for years. And actually until mm, two and a half months ago when I took the manager position, still was a full-time carpenter during the day. And I did the School of Rock in the evenings on Saturdays. So it's I've... The first time in my life, I, I don't pick up a hammer every day. Uh, started a couple months ago, and I'm loving it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Congratulations yeah. on moving up like that. Thank That's you. really cool. Uh, it seems like it's probably an incredibly fulfilling thing to not only be working with kids and like introducing them to what could potentially be like a really, you know, great life of loading in and loading out of venues. Uh, <laughs> and they, they are learning that. That's, yeah. that's one of the things we teach them. Yep. But I also imagine that it's fun too being able to like have some sort of a steady career and balance of like financial comfort in music. It is nice. It's uh yeah, two bands I'm at the school when I'm not with my bands and uh it's just awesome to have music 
pretty much run everything in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily my family supports it. So that, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So for those that aren't familiar with the school of rock, let's get like the basic right Wikipedia sort of rundown of what it is. It is a performance based music school. Um, so basically takes traditional music schools and flip flops the learning process. So where a lot of traditional schools, the student would be on one on one lessons for months, maybe years before they get the chance to play with other kids. Um, we get them playing together as soon as they can play. Yeah. Um, we get them in a room together. Uh, we run on uh, seasons. So we do like three seasons a year. Uh, each group has its own theme. Um, and it's, it's just a blast. So uh, with our method, we feel that the students one keep at it longer because they're, they're playing with other kids. They're having fun while they're learning. So through, through the songs that they're cast on, we also teach theory and fundamentals by pulling specific parts out of songs that they're already learning and explaining why these yeah. parts work so well together. Yeah. You know, so. I, I love that when I read into what the school of rock does preparing for this episode, I love that approach to songwriting. Cause I think teaching somebody something like theory, but like out of context of like how it should be used mm -hmm. is completely like, I don't, I just don't think that that's like a comfortable way to learn music. I feel like yeah. it's almost like, I feel like it's better to teach like for people to learn things by accident. Like they don't realize that they're learning theory. Mm -hmm. And then after the fact, like, oh, by the way, you just learned how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's uh, that's our approach. And it's awesome whenever you see the kids face like, oh, holy cow, you're right. I, I just learned that had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was going to learn how to play war pigs, um, that I was going to learn how to play triplets between my hands and my feet. Yeah. But through teaching a student that song. And working on various fills, uh, you know, we're able to do that. And it also has to help if they're learning these things through things that they're genuinely interested in mm -hmm. versus like learning music theory based off of some old classical piece or some weird composition that may, may they don't have like a like a visceral connection to. It's just like more like homework. Right. Exactly. Um, they definitely connect better with the songs that we're casting them on and, and the songs that they're doing, not maybe not everyone, um, but they definitely have more of a connection to say sitting in a room, just playing classical music over and over. Um, and, and part of the goal is, you know, whenever we're, we do maybe an obscure season um, and do some deep cuts, we hope that the kids like, you know what? I never heard this band. This, this song's pretty fun to play. Mm -hmm. Check out the rest of the library through, having to learn one song for our group. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it is a music teaching program. It's building social skills in a way that a lot of other academic programs probably don't even outside yeah. of music. Mm -hmm. And it's also like a low key history lesson about, you know, the history of rock and rock and roll or probably just music in general. Yeah. Everything's inspired by something and you can go down a thousand different rabbit holes, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely can. And uh, this season has been especially fun. We're actually just wrapping up. We have a show tomorrow and then our second performance show next week. Um, and one of our themes is Black Sabbath. Nice. So it's been fun rolling through, you know, a lot of the obviously early stuff, but 
um, peppering in some of the other singers and drummers that weren't Bill and, and Ozzy and having the kids realize like, oh, I had no idea Vinnie Apice played this tune. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and here's what they went on to do after they left Black Sabbath, stuff like that. Um, I know both uh, my partner in Wexford, Quinn and I pretty get pretty excited whenever kids really start to dive into the players of the bands that we're covering and other bands that those players were in. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, you can go down rabbit holes forever. So, you know, there's the, the thing that people have been saying since I was five years old, which is, you know, rock is dead. I feel like oh, people no have always way. been saying that. Right. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, rock and roll definitely has changed from a mainstream perspective. What somebody considers a rock artist these days might look more like to like me or you like, Oh, like, that's a hip hop artist or that's a pop singer, but it's like yeah. rock to them. Yeah. You know how, you know, over the past four years that you've been working at the school of rock and working with kids, like what is their view of like what rock music is? Is it still something that's current or is it like this ancient relic um, to them? No, I think that the, the vast majority of them feel that it it's current and alive and strong. Yeah. Um, you know, as you know, I'm, quite a bit older than most of the kids there, obviously. Um, so it's been cool for me, even finding out what they're listening to now, something that I may not have ever found myself. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the kids have such vast musical tastes that, you know, you might, they might come in and you think, okay, this kid's full on metalhead. Um, and then he's like, oh no, let's, uh, do you ever hear the deer hunter, mm -hmm. you know? which is not that far of a stretch, but far enough that I don't know if I would have, you know, most people would go down that path and find a deer hunter from, um, uh, you know, between the buried and me. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, it's great on both fronts. Hopefully we're going to get them into a few things they would have never heard of, but I definitely have found bands that I wouldn't have just from being around the kids. Yeah. That was one, uh, my next question was going to be, what was it like, you know, when things are introduced to you, that maybe you would have never listened to? Have you found things that you love? Have you been introduced to things and have to like teach kids songs that you're kind of like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I'm sure it's a mixture, right? It is a mixture. Yeah, there are some songs. Um, but uh, you know what? As a musician myself, whenever like we have an emo season coming up in the summer, mm -hmm. I am not the biggest emo fan, but I'm looking forward to having to teach a couple students some of those songs because it's going to get me out of my you know, yeah. comfort zone musically as well. So um, it works both ways, hopefully. Yeah, um, I, almost, I almost wonder if like maybe, so you haven't started the emo season yet. Not yet. I wonder if like, you know, once this is wrapping up, if you're going to find a new appreciation for any of those players as a result of like really digesting and trying to pick apart these compositions. Um, I'm so, sure that I will. So I think like on the surface, it's really easy to, write off a lot of that stuff, but that's no different than when we were younger and, mm -hmm. you know, our older peers were like, Oh, you listen to that. Like, that's, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> Tom Foolery. Yeah. Uh, I just had a conversation with my wife about this, um, about how the vast majority of people will look at metal players, um, and think that they, uh, yeah, that's just a bunch of noise. How, how can you listen? That doesn't sound like anything. And then, you know, pull a random pop artist that didn't write their song. And, and again, that's a talent that I don't have. I'm not a singer by any stretch. But um, to lump all of the heavier 
noisier genres into this no talent group is insane when some of them are probably some of the best players in the world. Sure. I mean, so. yeah, it's just people's people have different palates, you know, there are it's like spicy food, you know, mm -hmm. there's the whole one to ten level if you go <laughs> to the right restaurant. Right? Yeah. And uh, for some people, it's like all spicy food tastes the same. But if you understand the nuance and understand what to look for in the flavor, you can pick apart the differences. Yeah. I mean, you know, sure. it's like somebody might show me five different like SoundCloud-esque hip-hop artists and I would think it was probably all the same person. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I could show somebody like Hannibal Corpse and Decapitated and Black Dahlia Murder yeah. and but this is all the same band. It's not, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's, people have different things. But yeah, I've definitely come across that too. Uh, always been like, it's so funny how when you grow up listening to alternative music, you're kind of looked at in this uh, less than delinquent sort of way. Mm -hmm. But now like all these years later and it's like, you're like the furthest thing from that that I could possibly <laughs> see. But like, you still have like the beard and the tattoos. Do you find anybody's like intimidated by like leaving their children with you? Do you still have I, to go I, through that? I, or I certainly gone hope past not. That? Yeah. I think once they get into the school and meet me and talk to me, I'm, I'm a pretty low-key totally mellow guy um hopefully i give them the sense that you know what your kids are safe here and and i do use the reference that you know both of my daughters one daughter is still a student and actually my oldest daughter that graduated is now working at the school uh in between uh yeah school yeah in between college so um hopefully that gives them a sense of okay this guy really does like it here he's gonna take good care of my kids which we do and I've had some some friends that I've known throughout my career there ask, you know, once once uh, Olivia and Julia are graduated, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to stay. I love this place. Um, and I do. I, I genuinely love to see every single kid their first time getting on stage and, you know, go from this super shy, reserved kid to uh, jumping off of a drum riser <laughs> or just, you know, yeah. head banging while they're singing. Just it is the best feeling for me. And luckily, I kind of get to do it all the time now. Now, it would be real dope if the School of Rock had like a gymnastics class that taught like how to jump <laughs> off a drum riser properly <laughs> or like good headbanging techniques like yeah. exercise, how to. That's because I mean, a... these are things as we've grown older that I think we've all suffered from. Yes. So if we yes, can help we these young headbangers <laughs> in advance, we might be doing them a good favor, right? Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's not a bad idea. I, I could use the exercise myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, another thing, too, which is I'm always really fascinated about with like, you know, uh, hearing in earplugs and volume levels. Are mm -hmm. those like things that you also talk about? We in do. The school? Um, to get into our rehearsal rooms, um, have to have earplugs. Mm -hmm. So we always encourage the, the parents to get their kids their own set of earplugs. Um, just because, you know, you get past the foam, which we have at the school all the time. So if they forget them, we have them. Um, but we are big proponents and I always have been, I've been playing drums longer than I care to say mid eighties. And, uh, once I started getting into like my first high school band, um, I realized that man, that hi-hat is super loud in my left ear. So I've been wearing earplugs forever concerts. Um, my kids both wear them. So we are big on, you know, 
protecting the only set of ears that you have. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I don't know why it was like such a um a, a taboo thing it in the were, world yeah, of was. rock. Like anytime I put in a pair of earplugs, I'm like, oh wow, like this room sounds a lot better. It, it really me. does. It. I actually feel like I hear the music better. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It like you know, especially in a in a space with like a not great acoustics, it really cuts right out all that like super shrill, aggressive stuff that's like yeah, making sure. it like hard to enjoy what's going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And even playing wise, ever since I got my own in-ear setup, I couldn't imagine going back to having a monitor screaming at me behind the drum set. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's so much nicer. Mm -hmm. So you've been playing drums for a long time. You've had children, family, all this stuff. I mean, is it really just to be cliche, the power of rock and roll that keeps you still in the game to do this? I Cause there's probably to, a thousand other things you could be doing, right? I would have to say for sure. Yeah. Um, like this 14 months where I haven't played a live show. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived vicariously through all of our kids. Cause we've put on three shows through you know the the pandemic and the lockdown um whether we had to do it in the parking lot of our schools <laughs> just to get the kids playing and, yeah. and doing what they love to do and we love to watch um it's been killing me and i can't wait to get back on stage yeah so it, it's got to be the power of of the music that drives me do you for sure do you feel like if you weren't involved in the school that just playing in bands and have it like with everything else going on would have been enough to keep you in it? Or do you think the schools maybe helped? Uh, the school definitely got me back into it. Okay. Um, when my youngest daughter was born, I kind of put the drums away for a minute, you know, two kids running a business. Um, and it was actually when Olivia got into the school of rock. I'm like, Oh, I, uh, I play <laughs> drums. I used to really like it. Yeah. So it actually, kicked me in gear like hey i'm gonna get my drums out and i started and like started just chopping away by myself like i did when i was in middle school when i first started to learn you know headphones well it wasn't a cassette player like i had in the 80s but and that was it i just started to play my favorite songs and along the way jammed with a couple of people and and you know a couple years later i found a band again and now a couple bands and couldn't be happier <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, in terms of finding those bands, were these people that you knew or did you have to like make new friends as an adult, which is like the hardest thing in the world? It was, yeah, it was, it was making new friends, which, uh, which is awesome because I, I, it's funny. I see people my age, like as we were going to high school functions or, and I would look around and think, oh my God, are these people the same age as me? Like I, <laughs> yeah, my, I don't ever want to stop evolving. So meeting new people is a good thing for me. Like I like to, uh, a Victoria fire. When I joined them, it was a Craigslist ad and, um, it's been, I think almost two years now I've been with them and we've all become great friends. We hang out, you know, aside from practice. So that's been awesome. And, uh, I was actually a fan of whorehound before I got in. And when I saw they were looking for a drummer, actually I knew that Quinn, uh, Quinn Lucas knew shy. So I texted Quinn. I was like, dude, see if you can, uh, put in a good word for me and auditioned and, uh, the, got into whorehound literally two weeks before COVID. So I still have yet to play my first live show. With <laughs> yeah. But it's coming up. We have one, uh, we have one coming up 
actually we have i think almost three on the schedule one in the works so yeah that's awesome looking you know, forward to that i think that it's really cool that you've been able to reach out and establish new friendships with new people as an adult it's something that i find really hard to do mm -hmm. even given all the stuff that i'm doing um and you know one of my bands we were recently uh trying to find a new member to replace somebody that left and like just the idea of having to make a new friend seemed like so yeah. like, like that's, that's like it's one thing to make like a casual friend but like somebody like i need to find somebody new that's going to be in a band with us yeah. and like contribute creatively and i'm gonna have to see every week and they're probably gonna have to like i'm gonna have to like go to their little birthday get togethers and i'm gonna have to invite <laughs> them to mine like it's a big ask trying to find somebody yeah you it's know like, finding a family member that totally I mean, that's what it's that's what it's like luckily we just ended up getting somebody that we've all known for years anyway so oh, didn't awesome. have to make a new friend <laughs> but the idea was just like yeah it's so crazy to me because like i have a lot of friends that you know we're always trying to like start a band or find band members and none of us are getting any younger yeah, and i just feel like that's a true it was so much easier to put a band together a decade ago yeah and now it's like me and all my friends we're in our mid-30s which isn't the oldest thing in the world but it's yeah. like it's that point where it's like fuck it's a big ask trying to commit to this it is yeah and i'm i'm the oldest one by far in both of my bands so and i like to think that being at the school all the time and around kids keeps me mentally younger than my age would say sure so. <laughs> sure so you know outside of playing in bands and doing the school stuff what do you do to take care of yourself mentally or physically you seem like you're a reasonably well put together person oh thank you, you especially for somebody yet. that says you're like a, a dinosaur apparently <laughs> yeah. right like what are you what, is there anything special that you're doing do you, uh, do, you, do you try to eat right do you exercise G give some of these, these not uh, nearly as soon much to be as I, old's advice here <laughs> not nearly as much as i should <laughs> in fact now that uh now that we have shows coming up i'm realizing like okay i've i've got to get in playing shape yeah um but you know i just I really think it, it's music and you know, my family's the same way. We're all, the TV is on way less than music is playing in our house. And it's, it's been like that since the kids were small. Um, I'm never a big TV watcher and uh, I'd much rather be doing things with music playing rather than sitting and watching. And I think that has a lot to do with, it. I don't stop. Um, my one friend, when he talks to his friends about me, he said, oh, yeah, my friend Bearded Dan, he's the busiest guy I know. Yeah. Because I don't. I, I don't, you know, if I can be doing something, I will. Because I'm afraid that once I stop doing things, like, I will really stop. Was this so, a mindset that you had prior to becoming a father? Uh, you know, my dad was always like that. He worked. I could never have seen my dad actually retire until he had to. <laughs> like, he just, yeah. that, that's what he did growing up. I just, I saw my dad work. Um, and I kind of do the same thing, I, I guess just, you know, you're a product of your environment. So, um, it's a little different with me cause I'm, it's more music and like, I, I make sure that, you know, as a family, at least, especially my wife and I, cause obviously the, the kids we're going to be empty nesters next year. And we, we just like to go out and do things. We don't want to sit around unless we're sitting on our back porch, hanging out with friends. Sure. Um, but we're not ones to just sit around and watch, you know, network TV Monday through yeah. Saturday or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're get out and do things kind of people. So, yeah, I think that, you know, there's a, 
I don't know. I think it's just part of like the creative brain. Most people that I know that do anything artistically tend to be like that. I'm mm. like that. I'm very yeah. much like I even have a hard time sometimes just going to a live concert if I'm not playing. It just makes me want to go home and write or do <laughs> yeah. something like I have left concerts before. I think nice. that uh, me and my girlfriend, Stacy, we, we were at a Queens of the Stone Age show. And like, I just got so infuriated that I wasn't working on music and I left because nice. I was just like, ah, yeah. yeah, like it just, I was like fired up about like not doing stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, life's too short. I want to get as much out of it as I can. That's yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. You're doing a lot. <laughs> so is there anything over the course of your life that you've wanted to do that you haven't at least tried to do or experienced? Before I had kids, I wanted to skydive. But kids kind of puts things into perspective. Sure. I kind of let that go. All right. Um, and honestly, the one thing that I wish that I would have done earlier, I will be doing with Whorehound. And that's just like jump in a van, drive around the country and play music. Hell yeah. We'll see how my body feels after that week of sleeping <laughs> in the van. But uh -huh. um, yeah, that that's the one thing that I'd never experienced in my musical career that I could not be looking more forward to. So skydiving, do you find yourself to be much of a thrill seeker in any other aspects of your life? Not so much. Okay. Uh, I play golf. Okay. Sometimes that's thrilling. All right. Uh, depends on how close the balls come past you. I was <laughs> with the guy a couple of weeks ago we played and he got hit in the knee. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's kind of thrilling. Yeah. No, I was glad it wasn't me. No, nobody thinks about the potential... <laughs> Uh, injury that one may sustain in, <laughs> a, in a game of golf. Yeah. And that's kind of like my wind down, turn my brain off, just have fun. In in the realm of like the golf sphere, do you have like golf friends that are maybe not necessarily like metal people or do you have like a... Yeah, a one, of, one of my good friends uh, who I golf with, he, um, he has come out to see Victoria Fire a couple of times and that's cool because I know he's not a music guy. Yeah. But... That I mean, we're such good friends that he came out to support. So it, it's cool when he does that, and uh, it's it, we have a blast when we play golf together. I'm a very like organized. I keep my clubs in order. So one of the things he usually does is rearrange all of my clubs in my bag when I'm not looking. Okay. Yeah. What a what a jag off. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of jag offs, are you a Pittsburgh guy? I am. My Washington. Yeah. Born and raised. Nice. Born and raised. Huh. Yep. All right. So when did you get into heavy music and did you get to experience any of like the 80s, 90s heyday of what the Pittsburgh scene was? Uh, middle school is when it started to click for me. I think it was like 1984. Van Halen was one of my first cassettes that I bought with my own money. Hell yeah. Um, Back in Black, that was another big one. Um, and then that quickly, you know, I, and I was a child of the eighties. So the, the hair metal was, you know, docking early Def Leppard, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and then as I got into my twenties is when, uh, and I'll never forget the first time I heard, um, Iron Swan, it was music choice on whatever cable station we had, um, got me into the sword and then I deep dive into I Hate God and Sludge, and then it was just all on from there. So yeah. it was kind of a late bloomer to the really heavier side of music. Sure, sure, sure. Um, 
but then I went into, you know, Iron Monkey and of course the whole Nola scene. Um, and from there, it's uh, the band I was in at the time, spent a lot of, a lot of evenings and sometimes mornings at the Electric Banana. Cool. Yeah. Um, I spent, I, I became friends with Judy and Johnny mm -hmm. over the years um, of playing there so much. And they were great people. We had a blast, but I was, I was definitely in the the '90s scene, um, you know, the decade. Yeah. Uh, uh, upstage, all of uh, all the clubs that are now closed. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Graffiti. You know, yeah. I I feel like I I got to see a little bit of that as a as a kid because I had an uncle who was basically my conduit to music. Mm -hmm. Um, like my parents had me when they were super young, and my dad was like into like you know megadeth and metallica and yeah. my mom was more of like the poison and motley crew stuff yeah. right but my uncle was like a stone's head uh some black sabbath stuff any of any of you know yeah. that that heavy anything was like hard rock or heavy psych stuff and he was really into collecting records nice. so he would always like take me to shows like you know i saw the stones with him i saw the cramps with him i oh, saw wow. you know like a bunch of really cool bands yeah. when i was like before i was like 10. Right. And so it was like really cool getting to see a lot of that Oakland scene mm -hmm. before it kind of went away. And it's kind of weird because it was really bittersweet sweet for me because like when I was like 14, 15, 16, when I was like old enough to like, oh, I could like sneak on the bus and go to Oakland. Yeah. Everything was wrapping up like I totally <laughs> missed it because like and it, it wrapped up quickly, too. It was yeah. a shame. Yeah. You know. When I talk with people who were active in that scene at that time, I feel like it's really hard not to romanticize what it was. Right. But, yeah. you know, looking back on it, is it like a lot of like rose colored glasses sort of thing? Do you feel like the fundamentals of what the local music scene in Pittsburgh is, has really changed? Um, I think it is a bit of rose colored glasses. I feel like while we all had a blast and maybe it still is like, I haven't been in the scene now long enough to, to compare it. Fair I enough. Think, yeah. Yeah. A, f a fair comparison of okay. it. But what I have seen now is it seems like bands are kind of supporting each other more than I felt like they did back in the 90s. Mm. Um, but we had our, our bands that we played with a lot. There were also shows where we would play with bands we didn't know, or they would pack the gear up, walk right out as you're playing, just stuff like that, which sucks. Um, yeah. If you're there, support. Yeah. And, um, like I said, I haven't I haven't played a, a live show with Whorehound yet, but just from listening to to them talk about the shows they do locally, it seems to be a bit different to me, and I'm hoping that it is. So. Yeah, I think I think that everything that you mentioned, every negative thing that you mentioned, still happens. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of positive aspects too, and I feel like there's that whole cliche be the change you wish to see in the world sort of thing that yeah. like we try to do with gray walker where it's like i get that you know we're not you know some heavy doom band you know we're not like and we're also not like all hip and young and have like you know yeah. fun breakdowns <laughs> and cool like electronic <laughs> stuff in our backtracks like you know we're just like metalheads in our 30s right yeah. and it's like we're really just like want to hang out have fun I have that mentality. It's like if this was high school, like we would all probably sit at the same lunch table and like, you know, try yep. to chill with each other. But like as you get older, there's like this weird like 
some sort of like subgenre division where it's like, oh, we can't yeah. play with bands like that. It's like, I don't give a shit what kind of music you make. Are you cool to hang out with? Exactly. Tight. Because chances are 75% of the attendance is going to be the other bands. So the other bands should be at least cool people. So we can like have a few beers or whatever and just hang out and enjoy sure. each other's company. Right. Yeah. And I, I love multi genre shows. Yeah. Um, I enjoy more than just the types of music I play. And it's nice to uh, to go to a show and get, even if it's all metal, but different kinds of metal. I feel um, like, you know, going back to the Oakland days, I feel like the multi-genre thing was pretty common from like when I look back, if I look at like old flyers or think about shows that I attended, it was never like one of all things. Yeah. I feel like that's something that started like a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was. We played with back in, well, the, the band I was in was Skate Grace. We played with new wave bands. Uh, we played with straight punk. We played with rockabilly. And w everybody in the band, we all had the same mentality. We were there to have fun. Um, we loved we loved playing and performing. And we were all huge fans. So no matter what band we were playing with, we supported. We were, we were right up front. We were checking them out the whole time. And we tried to be the last people unloading, you know, loading out at the end of the night. Yeah. You know, in terms of like, discovering other local bands in those early days of being, you know, a new musician playing in bands. And did you like find any like different styles of music or become exposed to anything through the local scene that like you hadn't heard of before? Um, I found a couple of bands that were very similar to early, early clutch. Okay. That I had like, I'd never heard bands like that before in like 92. Yeah. So that was cool. And some like heavier new wave stuff, a couple of the bands that we played with, where there's a lot of synth stuff going on, um, which turned me into kind of an industrial phase, which my wife helped out with. She was a big industrial fan. So cool. Um, yeah. And the, the only thing I wish that, and I still do, um, I would love to sit in with a hip hop group, just like kick, snare, hi hat, and just groove with a couple of hours yeah. with somebody like that. Yeah. That, that might be the one last thing on my music list playing live. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be so fun. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that around here. Yeah. So do you ever find any kids that like come into the school of rock that maybe have more of like, not necessarily a rock background or rock interest, but they're just looking to learn to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have, we have quite a bunch, um, a handful of kids that, you know, that are in our, that, for instance, uh, we're also doing garage rock this season. Um, and I don't think there were very many of the kids that ended up in that group. It may have just been that their availability was only on Monday nights. Sure. Um, and hopefully they learned about what garage rock is and how instrumental a lot of those bands were, you know, for punk bands moving forward, rockabilly, surf, like all of that stuff came from these early, yeah. early garage rock bands. And hopefully goes back to hopefully they learn something through the songs that we're casting them on and they'll take it upon themselves to check out more in that genre mm -hmm. um it is a fun season too and actually i learned about the huge i guess early 2010 revival of garage rock oh yeah yeah so i found some cool bands that i had not known about so again it it's goes both ways mm -hmm. and uh back to my philosophy of never stopping to evolve so absolutely 
you know, evolving as somebody that's into this alternative sub subculture, right? That's kind of youth driven in some ways. Mm-hmm. I, over the past couple of years, have been finding it a little bit difficult to like age gracefully in regards to some of the things that I used to be really passionate about. Like, uh, you know, there's some things like, oh, I can go back and I could still listen to like a cannibal corpse. Then I'm like, this is tight. Mm-hmm. I can't go back and listen to like Mudvayne and be like, <laughs> I still like this. <laughs> and then you. like, there's also like the whole like, ethos of like a lot of bands with like hardcore in particular like i loved hardcore when i was a kid because i was like young and i had something to be angry about yeah now i'm a little bit older not that angry and it's hard for me to like relate to this stuff that i really loved yeah have you found that with anything uh for me it was probably a lot of the grunge bands because that's kind of okay. when i came into like really really getting into music yeah early 90s mid 90s um and there's only a handful of them now when i listen back that i'm like Wow. Yeah, this it, like you said, this is not resonating with me now. Probably the only one that I still play on heavy rotation is is early Soundgarden. Yeah. Um that that was once I found Soundgarden, then I really dove into the the whole Seattle scene back then, but um a lot of their counterparts that I used to love I just yeah, I don't find myself seeking out to listen to them anymore. Mhm. So, I, yeah, I, it's I think that it was really, you know, whenever the whole Seattle thing, yeah. um, technically the Seattle thing had already happened and we were learning about it by proxy <laughs> yeah. a couple years later. Right. <laughs> um, but I was a fucking child. Right. And it was such an interesting time for music. And I think being like cause I was born in 85. Right. So I'm like nine years old in 1994, mm. which was whenever like grunge kind of went. Yeah. Right. And uh but also around that time, it like wasn't weird as a kid to be like, oh, I listened to Nirvana and I listened to Rage Against the Machine and I listened to, yeah. you know, Smashing Pumpkins. And these are like three wildly different bands. And it like really shaped my interest in this weird way mm-hmm. moving forward. And like, you know, I have a, a hard time like one like trying to like look at popular music of today and seeing like the same diversity but i'm also trying not to be that old curmudgeon that's yeah. like you know it's like is it there is it not there i don't know i try to listen to things and i'm just like this really all sounds the same is this really are we really am i really going to be this person i'm like trying <laughs> to find the nuance like really objectively and i can't find it is it like is this just like something that's like in my dna that like i'm like expired past the point of understanding a certain I can't Age imagine that's the truth. I, yeah. I'm being it, dramatic. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I feel what you're saying. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because there's so much availability to music now, as opposed to back then. Um, you know, you could, with a click of a finger, you have 10 million songs, you know, at your disposal. Whereas I think, at least for me, when I was younger, like it was a lot of work to find oh, new yeah. music. So when you did and you found something you really liked, you latched onto it yeah. and it didn't have to be like, so you could pick from, you know, rage, um, Nirvana, smashing pumpkins. You know, I was a big public enemy guy and I had friends like, how can you listen to public enemy? I'm like, Oh my God, they're so good. Sure. How can you not listen to Yeah, <laughs> I think, that, um, you know, like I remember I was still, I'm like this weird in between where like, I'm, uh, I'm 
let me see. I'm young enough to have like been in high school with somebody that had one of the first MP3 players. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm old enough to remember like not being able to hear a band's new album until my friend came over with the CD. Yeah, there was no like. <laughs> Oh, check out the link or, you know, listen to this like ripped copy of it online. <laughs> right. It was like I had to wait for him to show up with yeah. the Slipknot CD. And, uh, and, good to hear it. Yeah. And it, it was it was a good time as much as I love now being able to just, you know, go rabbit hole after rabbit hole, finding new music. Yeah. Um, there was something romantic about totally having to search out, you know, like you said, a friend or, you know, oh, this is my weekly trip to National Record Mart. What am I yeah. going to get? Here's my eleven ninety nine. Uh-huh. I want this, and I will listen to it nonstop. Yeah, I uh, pulled my old stereo when we moved into our new place out, and uh, my oldest daughter put in a Sonic Youth cassette that my tape deck immediately ate. Oh no! So <laughs> yeah, she's twenty one, and first time in her life, I gave her the cassette and a pencil, and I said, "Let me show you how to fix this." <laughs> and she was completely amazed. And Sorry. this is somebody that she's going to school for music tech. Yeah. You know, she can sit at a soundboard and do a million things that I don't know how to do. But I had the pencil and the cassette and we fixed that sonic e tape and then we listened to it. Hell yeah. yeah. So uh it's nice to be able to do stuff like that. As well as do stuff like now where you can just oh, okay. Uh convent. I've never heard them. Let me check them out. Oh, yeah. I really like this. Yeah, which yeah. is not a luxury we had back in the day. No, I definitely appreciate not having to um spend money on bad music anymore <laughs> i'm yes. but like you know i'm one of the few where it's like if i hear something online that i like i'm gonna buy a copy of it yeah, you know i'm with you yeah. um not everybody's like that i totally get it mm-hmm. but um it's hard there's so many positives and negatives there's no right or wrong way no it's there just, isn't as as long as i'm my feelings are as long as people are listening to music and loving it and it's moving them in some way no matter how they get it um you know just love it and if you can support the bands yeah. that make it or the, or the artists not even you know does the school of rock have any um you just focus mostly on playing and performing there's no like uh releasing and like business aspects of that, is there that is something since our schools are a little on the smaller side there are yeah. a few around um that have the opportunity to record we've been. So we have uh, one of our, our only audition only portion is called house band, which is the more experienced players in the school. Um, and once a year we get into a tour bus and we go out for a week and play with other schools in the country. Yeah, that's awesome. And we have visited some schools that had little studios in their building um, where they record. Um, we do have a songwriting course uh group which is one of our performance groups along with the ones where we're doing covers um where the kids you know for however long the season and to say this one was four months from the first day they start to put together their their own compositions yeah um and you know it's awesome is right now they're a younger group and it's amazing hearing these songs after four months uh how well they do like you know they're some of them are as young as seven and they're coming in with ideas and, you know, breaking out a pop song that is structured like a pop song should be with, with great melodies. And I'm like, I cannot wait to see what the seven year old is like when they're graduating this program at 18. It's going to be crazy. 
Yeah. So, and that's another thing I love is that I've been there long enough now that I've seen kids come in and watch their musical journey as they mature from, um, you know, we have a drummer who was 13, I think when he started, great drummer, everything loud, fast, hard, to watch him mature into, now he wants to play funk, you know, he, he wants, he's producing, he's doing all of these other things. And it, it's so cool to watch them and hopefully have a, a tiny little part in their maturing into what they do at 18 rather, you know, from what they started at 13. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's great. It's just, you know, I find that one of the things that really, at least for me, and maybe you can relate with this as well. One of the things that becomes a big hurdle is like after you've spent all of these years learning how to play and write songs and play songs and you find other people to be in a band with the whole like business side of being in a band is mm -hmm. like a huge hurdle for a lot of people. So it's like, I spent a decade or more learning how to do all of this. Yeah. I don't have a decade in business and finance and all this stuff. I don't, what, what, what's ASCAP? What's this? What, you know, <laughs> yeah. all these things that like one can argue it's relevance depending on the level of how you're operating as a musician. But yeah. like, those are things that would be really helpful to know. And I wish I would have learned them when I was 19 and not fucking, you know, yeah, yeah, 36. for sure. Quinn and I have talked at length about trying to incorporate things like that for the students that do want to move on. Yeah. You know, playing, trying to for like to, a certain for, level. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And we may still be a little bit of ways just getting the curriculum for something like that down to where it's taught consistently through each each season or however long the class, you know, if we do a six week program on something like that just to make sure that it's consistent every six weeks. So as new yeah. kids come in, obviously it will evolve as the world around us evolves, but um, we have to kind of get the core of those values set. Absolutely. And then we'll build on those as, as things evolve. But yeah. that would be awesome. Now, um, question. Okay. So how many people have you interacted with that are well over the age of 18? could still probably benefit from a school of rock sort of situation that you've seen in bands. I think probably more than you would want. Totally. <laughs> I, that's my assumption. That's why yeah. I'm asking this question. Um, and I think the biggest, the biggest reason I say that is, you know, the thing I, I'm, I'm a mellow guy and one of my rules of life is just don't be a dick. Yeah. And I, I hope that as the kids that I'm involved with, they see how I interact with sound engineers, you know, other schools, managers, other kids, other instructors that, you know, if you treat somebody with respect from the get go, whether or not they're an ass to begin with, if you take that high road and you talk to them like they're, a, you know, I, I've seen bands talk to sound engineers like, oh, yeah. And it's like, first of all, that's like making a server at a waitress or at a restaurant super mad at you. Yeah. Um, this is the guy that's going to make or break how your band sounds tonight. Yes. Um, whether they're a jerk right off the bat or not, just be cool with them. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I could see, you know, people in the local scene or anywhere just take heed to. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's very, very common whenever I hear somebody say something negative about somebody else 
my first thought is always, what did you do? Yeah. It's never, what did they do? I I find that it's so random for people to just be rude for no reason. Don't get me wrong. I've encountered those people. (laughs) Buffalo, New York, the most psychotic sound engineer I have ever experienced in my life. This guy was just very unpleasant, very unpleasant. (laughs) That's awful. But I mean, the thing is like, it was like, you know, he knew the room, yeah. but it's like one of those things where it's like, I know this room. I know these mics. So like it was a situation where he was like asking our drummer to hit the snare lighter. Oh, you know, yeah. like he was like so specific about like everything's everything's going to be mixed exactly the same to my specification. Turn down, play lighter. Oh, you know what I mean? Awful. And it's like yeah, a death yeah, metal a tough, show. Yeah, that's tough. And like, to, uh, you know, this guy was probably in his 60s you know yeah uh, really leathered guy in his ways you know <laughs> been working on the same dusty pa for past uh, four yeah. decades respect the work i respect the work i get it you're yeah. still doing this you don't gotta be here i don't know why you are here yeah but yeah he really came at us with some pretty aggressive energy that's crazy yeah but that, it's funny that the next time we went we were like we're mentally prepared for it so it was a much easier experience okay. working with him because we kind of like, like, okay, yeah, you know, we, we know what to do now. But when someone throws you something like yeah, that, you're like, that's wow, a tough one. What the hell? Play lighter. I have been told that too. It, it's tough. And the, the only other thing is tearing down on stage. <laughs> yeah, you could. That we, would be another part of the School of Rock Gym you know class what? setting we, up uh, tearing down. We had a, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> we did a house band show and actually Quinn, uh, Quinn's house band, both Wexford and South Hills played. And, um, it was amazing. These kids had every piece of gear. We had like a, an old school fire engine line. Every piece of gear was off that stage in five minutes. It was off to the side, off of the stage to the side where then we started to tear it down. And, uh, you know, I may not be the greatest musician, uh, I think I do all right, but I think the life skills that I love to teach the kids about, you know, when you're in your own band, here's how you want to do it when you're, when you're playing, no matter if it's at a, you know, a community day in Baldwin, or if you're at, I can't think of a club that's left in the city, uh, spirit, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, get on and off stage quickly, treat everybody the right way and you will get a good reputation and other bands will start to hear that and they'll want to play with you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are definitely good values. You know, it's wild, man. We've been, it's so funny because we've been in a situation where it's like, I feel like we're really good at what we do, but we've like played shows opening up for national bands. And like, like literally the second we play, there's like somebody on stage trying to take our guitar stuff off the stage. And it's like, we don't even get like a chance. You know what I mean? Like it's so aggressive. Yeah. I don't like that either. I don't like people grabbing my drums. It makes me like not want to play shows like that. Yeah. You know, it's like not even like, it's like, okay, I don't mind selling tickets for a gig. That's, that would be another good, uh, Mm. lesson to, to maybe, uh, uh, scam alert type stuff right we have we've done some shows with drusky where yeah. we had the kids yeah sell tickets yeah i mean which, i don't which mind was selling, fun i don't mind it like we could sell tickets but it just sucks whenever it's like you bust your ass to do this thing and then last minute you're told that you're getting you're playing a five or ten minute shorter set than you were expecting yeah. 
and you're playing on like the smallest slither of a stage and you're not being treated by respect by the people that run the venue. Yeah. I get that the tour package needs the show to go on, right? Mm -hmm. But the only reason that y'all booked us on this show is because you couldn't draw enough people. So you needed our fucking 50, yeah. 75 people to be here. Right Give on. us the extra 10 minutes. Yeah. Or don't fucking book us. What's the point? Right on. Sorry. It's frustrating. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel you. Yeah. It is, it is aggravating. Um, we've, we've been there with the school. We've, we've done a couple national shows where the kids are, you know, drums are super on one side, vocalists are on the other side of the stage just because there's no room up front. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, and again, just don't be a dick. Yeah. yeah treat everybody yeah, with a little yeah. bit of respect. And I think it's like, just like knowing and also like understanding that these are realities and things that are going to happen being prepared for them and bringing up the conversation beforehand yeah it's exactly. like you know like i i need an agreement like oh if we sell this many tickets we're going to get this much money we're getting this much time this is in writing like, yeah yeah that makes a big like, difference because you yeah. can wrap your head around it a little easier that way totally and you're going in with with a clear conscience of how the night is going to progress mm -hmm. so much easier that way mm -hmm. so in terms of advice that you would give anybody. I think we, we, we've talked about a lot of advice and good mm -hmm. pointers for people of any age playing music. But do you feel like there's anything that we, we maybe skipped out on or anything that you've maybe learned that you feel is very valuable as a independent musician? That we haven't touched on? That we have not touched on. Uh, Self-awareness is always a good thing. <laughs> Um, and actually a, a big thing that we work on in the rehearsal room with the kids, um, especially some of the newer kids that haven't played in a group setting before is, uh, the importance of knowing what you're playing. So you're able to listen to what's going on around you. Try not to be so focused on what you're, I mean, obviously you want to be focused on what you're doing and play correctly and play well. Um, but you know what? every live show there's a hiccup and if sure. you're able to be tuned into what's going on around you it's much easier to get everybody back on track would that be like driving a car yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> in the correct lane yeah <laughs> at the correct speed sure yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally you know I, it seems like uh you know what the school of rock is doing is super cool um i'm glad that it exists i'm glad that we have so many locations like Locally, what are all the Pittsburgh area two, locations? We have two. two, uh, two. Yeah, South Hills and Wexford. Okay. Um, but there are 300 roughly schools in, I think, 12 countries. So it's a pretty massive, massive franchise. Uh, some, are, some are corporate schools. Um, a lot of them are franchise schools. Uh, it, it really has created a, a great community. Um, I know my kids from doing the house band tours and having other house bands come through Pittsburgh, you know, they still keep in touch with kids from Jersey, from Florida, um, from Cleveland. Yeah. So it, it, uh, it's crazy when you get a bunch of kids between 13 and 18 on a stage and just stand back and let them do their thing, how well they all seem to just integrate with each other. Um, we've actually done some house band shows with other schools where we would pick out songs and have different schools players get up there together oh, that's and, really, and just that's, jam out, yeah. you know, you know, standards, like even if it's like seven nation army, but just to see kid from Cleveland, a kid from 
Columbus and a kid from Pittsburgh all on stage together. They met literally hours ago and they're playing music together. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the school is that it creates this great community of people that love music and kids that maybe couldn't find their place anywhere else, but found their place there. Mm -hmm. so. so I think that the, the takeaway that I've learned or that I've absorbed from our conversation today is that we need to do like a post-grad school of rock for some of oh our peers. <laughs> I would love it. And uh, <laughs> try to try to help instill some some things like, you know, I, I, I've been in I've been in bands with people that uh, something simple stage etiquette, you know, it's a big thing. And uh, and it goes a long yeah, way. Yeah, there's there's there, there's it's a it's a it's almost it probably could be an endless list of things. It could be if you really want to dig into it. But it's just kind of wild how long I mean, maybe I'm a, a, a slow bloomer or a late bloomer, whatever you call that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I didn't really like understand what i was doing until i was like already playing shows for so long well over half yeah. my life before yeah. i felt like i understood how to like act right because mm -hmm. i've been that i've been that turd that has left shows early i've been that turd that has like called out other bands on stage or yelled at sound engineers and done all <laughs> that you know i'm like you know you're in, you're in your yeah. 20s playing in punk bands i feel like it's part of the it's attitude too. right yeah but to. like you know i just wish that i look back on that and like, I kind of cringe a lot of my stuff from like my youth. I don't regret. I don't mm -hmm. regret the pants. I don't regret the hair, <laughs> but I do regret some aspects of the attitude, especially in the local music scene. Cause there's still some people that were around back then mm -hmm. that still play today. And I feel like there's like a weird severed relationship because like maybe we were some way towards each other 13 years ago at the smiling yeah. moose. And it's like, I wish that uh, that wasn't a thing anymore. Yeah. I kind of regret it. Yeah. It's so, never too late to squash it. Totally. Totally. But anything that uh, anybody could do moving forward to not create new situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's I a big it's thing. And, and I hope that the kids that graduate um, continue down the path of not being dicks. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And uh, where can people like who are interested in reaching out to the school, what's a good way to get a hold of you guys? Uh, website, uh, locations.schoolofrock.southhills. And you can uh, email southhills at schoolofrock.com um, or Wexford, if you're up north, uh, wexford at schoolofrock.com. And uh, we, will, we will get you hooked up with a free trial lesson and get your kids into uh, some great performances for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thanks to for talk. having me, man. It, it was, was a, a blast. Yeah, it was a great I've little chat. I've watched your podcast. It's, it's awesome to actually be in the room. I'm like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this this is, is pretty sweet. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this, is, this is the space. This is it. It is. Uh, it's more awesome in person than it even is uh, watching on the, on the interwebs. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. I'm going to do my outro. And right that is all, folks. Thanks so much for being here. One more time. Dan, thank you. I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2021. Woo -woo. Thanks for listening. And we're done. That is a podcast. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>